when I started seeing that those completion rates were far lower than I wanted them to be, I knew that there was something wrong and I had to go in there and figure out and talk to the team and, you know, get their take on what was going on. Like, you know, we were on this call and you kind of just were nodding, you know, why weren't we able to do X, Y, Z? Oh, you know, we tried, but it was impossible. Um, so just making sure that the goals that we're setting as well are attainable. Um, and then I keep an eye on those completion scores or completion percentages as well. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Introducing Noor Baraji, the co founder and COO of Impact School. On today's Second in Command podcast, we will have Noor, the accomplished CEO of Impact School, walking us through her unique perspective on being a supportive force behind a high-energy CEO, leveraging social media for company growth and the value of her literature education in her role as COO. Tune in for insights into her decision to pursue entrepreneurship over a career in law and how her analytical skills contribute to the company's success. Don't miss this opportunity to gain valuable insight from Noor Baraji as she shares her experiences and insights on driving operational excellence at Impact School. And tune in to the Second in Command podcast on our YouTube channel as well to also be able to watch the engaging conversation that we have that'll leave you inspired and ready to take on your own leadership challenges. So pass on this episode to a friend as well, and we'll see you on the inside. So Noor, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, looking forward to learning from you today. Looking forward to getting some of your perspective. Um, I understand you're based in the UK right now as well. Is Impact School a UK-based organization or is it just you that's based there? A couple of our team are based here. So myself, our head of marketing and one of our consultants. Um, the company is based in the United Arab Emirates and the United States. Oh, well, wow. interesting. And I'm I'm actually calling in today from the UAE as well. I'm in Dubai right now. So interesting that you have that perspective. Didn't realize that. Why don't you just start off with telling us what Impact School is and how you, um, you know, how, how the organization operates, and then we'll kind of dive in from there. Impact School is a personal brand led company. So our CEO, Lauren Tickner, she's very, very front facing um, and has a wealth of experience in uh, the business space. Uh, she started as a fitness coach. Uh, I also started as a fitness coach. So I had my own business, um, did that for almost two years. And essentially what the company does is we work with small to medium-based businesses and we help them scale online using social media. So what makes us quite unique is that uh, we don't teach paid advertising. We don't run paid advertising up until I think last week. Um, and we've gotten to where we are strictly um, organically. And can you speak to the size of the organization at all? I know Lauren does talk fairly, fairly openly about some of it on social media. Can you give us a perspective as to the size, how many clients, maybe revenue numbers, number of employees, et cetera? So at the moment, we are averaging around 400,000 US dollars per month. 
we have about nine people internally, and that's not inclusive of our um, fractional sales team. Uh, so we have, we've partnered with a sales agency and they take care of that function of the business. So that's not inclusive of them, those, those nine people. Um, in terms of clients, right now, I think we are at, I want to say between 100 and 120 clients right now. So pretty good, pretty good size organization and um, interesting span of control, kind of operating with people in, in a few different countries. Where I want to start is with you and Lauren. I mean, you have a very, very high, uh, it's funny that you're called impact school. You're a very high impact CEO. She's, she's definitely right out there in social media. She's a very, very strong personality. She's got, you know, I, I've done a couple of Zoom calls with her in the past and she's got incredible energy. But as a COO, that can often be not not necessarily intimidating, but we often kind of ride in their spotlight. So how do you balance that with her? How do, how did you and she kind of find her um, or find your kind of groove? It's taken, we've been working together for coming up to four years now. So it, it's definitely been a learning curve, I would say, for both of us. Um, I mean, the nature of the CEO-CEO relationship is that you're working in such close proximity to one another. There has to be an element of something outside of that business sphere, I think, for it to be successful. So we have a friendship outside of work. And, um, you know, I know her partner. She knows what's going on in my life, etc., we celebrate birthdays together, et cetera. So I think that has really, really helped. And I feel like that's that, that tends to be something that's overlooked when I've spoken to different people um, who are in my position at, at similar-ish um, companies or organizations. I think that our personalities are almost polar opposite to one another. And I think that that allows us to work so well together because we compl we and that sounds a bit cliche but we really do complement one another so the things that she likes to do not my forte I don't I don't enjoy that and vice versa and then we also communicate really really differently and I think that again was something that we really had to learn and work quite hard to um to understand how the other person communicated um, or prefers to communicate and then to kind of make sure that there weren't any sort of gaps in our communication. So it, it's been a process. I think that we had a probably a big shift last year uh, when we started to do more kind of in-person stuff together um, because we are completely virtual. I'm based in the UK. She was based in Dubai, but she is kind of a digital, a dig digital nomad. So she moves around quite a lot um, and not having that like face-to-face -face contact um, I found quite challenging. Um, so making the kind of effort to see each other in person on more occasions, to go to events together, um, which is something that is out of my comfort zone. Um, but we slowly started kind of doing that. Um, and I think that that really, really helped. Um, I think it's so different when you get to you know see a person and, and speak to them and there are things that are really hard um, to, to read when you're writing an email or communicating on Slack or even Zoom. Like it's sometimes difficult to read body language because you only get to see the top half of some. 
So yeah, I, I think our like personalities, it, like generally speaking, our characters are very, very different, but very complementary. I have found. I love that. I love that you mentioned that you had to kind of learn each other's communication styles as well. How do you think you started to understand that? Did you do personality profiles? Did you just talk to each other? What was it that allowed you to kind of figure out each other's styles? Personality profiles, we did that. Um, And I think that, you know, it's great on a kind of superficial level. It kind of just tells you what you almost innately know um, because you're experiencing it. So for me, um, I think we started learning that we communicated quite differently when we started to have clashes. And that's when, you know, we we sat down and we had a big conversation about it. Um, and it was a, a multitude of conversations over a period of time because our relationship professionally and personally is very important to the both of us. So we knew that it was something that we had to iron out in order for us to be able to move forward Um, as friends, but also as partners. And we also understood very early on that if there was friction between myself and her, everyone felt that and that wasn't good. It's interesting that you 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 understand that the whole personal relationship is so powerful. I think that's where so many CEO, COO relationships don't survive is because they don't have that. When I was the second in command for a company called 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the only reason we were able to go through the crazy growth that we went through, we, we did $2 million to $106 million in, in five or six years, was because we were such good, close friends before I even started to work with Brian. So the, I'm sure it also hasn't been easy, right? Like there's got to be times in the relationship where just like in a, a you know a personal relationship, we argue, we fight, it gets stressful. How do you work through the tough times together? How do you kind of communicate and and work through those? I think. Now it's a lot easier because there's years of history. Um, we've been through a lot <laughs> over the last um, almost four years together, personally and professionally. We've been through a lot together. So I think having that history has been helpful. Early on, I think what kept us going was, number one, we knew that we were stronger together than individually. So we recognized that there were certain things that the other person could do that. So there were certain things that Lauren could do that weren't my forte, that I didn't enjoy doing, that I didn't want to do, um, and vice versa. And together as a unit, we were far stronger and we would be able to make a greater impact in the world than solo. And I think having that understanding and also having a shared vision of wanting to make an impact, you know, wanting to give people freedom to do what they wanted to do, to live the lives that they wanted to lead was kind of that unifying thing that kept bringing us back together when things got really tough. I love that. So last kind of question around, around you and um, your CEO, Lauren, Again, a very frontward facing or forward facing kind of outward biz dev, sales, marketing. She's the face of the brand. But you were also not only are you the COO, but you were also a co-founder. Does does jealousy ever creep in? Does the or is are you just quite happy to be, you know, Lewis Howes had a co-founder with his whole brand, Sean Malarkey, and no one ever knew who Sean was. But without Sean, Lewis never would have ever been anything. Jealousy, no. I don't think I've ever felt 
that emotion simply because I wouldn't want to be front facing. I think that a lot of people kind of glamorize Lauren and um, what she's built and everything, but they also don't see the stress, the level of responsibility, lack of privacy at times. Um, It's not something that I would want for myself. She does it absolutely brilliantly. Um, But I also, because I'm so close to her, see the stress um, and the battles that she's kind of faced. So no, jealousy, I don't think is an emotion that I've experienced thus far. I think that there have been elements up until very recently, and I don't know what the right word is to kind of describe that emotion, but elements of maybe struggling to kind of struggling with the lack of recognition in terms of the work that I do. Um, And sometimes that's difficult. And that was something that I kind of struggled with a little bit last year um, when the business kind of started doing very, very, very well. And we kind of garnered a, a a bit more attention in the space. People were kind of talking about Lauren, but people tend not to talk about the second in command. Up until recently, I don't think I had a community of operators, integrators, second in commands, you know, whatever we're, we're, whatever terminology we're using. And I think that was difficult for me because all of my friends, everyone who I'm close to has kind of conventional like nine to five jobs and big corporations. So as a young person, I think that that journey can be quite lonely if you don't have that community of um, people who are like, yes, we we see what the second in commands do, um, you know, like the vision can't come to life without us. And it's it's nothing to do with Lauren because, you know, between us, I know how much she values the work that I do and, and vice versa. So we kind of give each other that that recognition. But yeah, I think having that community has has really, really helped me. It's interesting. That's what um, that was the entire reason that I've launched the two brands that I've launched. I launched the COO Alliance six years ago as a, a global network, 17 countries we've got members from. You guys are right at the entry point now. You need to do $5 million in revenue to qualify, so you're there. Um, and then I launched another community just recently called The Ops Spot, and it's a place to give people that, kind of the people that report to you, the people in operations, a place, a community, a place for them to be able to share ideas and grow themselves and grow their companies. And I, I feel the pain. I, I was the second in command, again, at this brand a couple of times. My job was to make the CEO look good. And then their job behind the scenes internally was to make me look good, right? We have to be the ones rolling out the tough decisions. And sometimes it is nice to have that spotlight internally too. But congrats, because you two are doing it together. You're doing a hell of a job. One thing I'm curious about is your brand has been built. You know, you really built the company by leveraging social media. And your product is teaching companies how to leverage social media. So do you ever have clients with just extraordinarily unrealistic expectations that, you know, they're going to start doing everything you say and a week later, they're going to be successful? Like, how do you temper their expectations and train them to realize, first off, that it takes a long time to get to the night before you become the overnight success, right? It took you, you know, years to get all of a sudden the the ball really rolling. And then secondly, that that this stuff takes work. You know, it's not, it isn't all, it isn't just easy, you know? Yes. Um, that's such a good question. It's something that we we really struggled with, I think, last year because our marketing kind of pivoted to 
you know, get yourself out of the day to day and um, have this life of freedom. And essentially what that did is it brought in clients who thought it would be really easy and thought it would be kind of an overnight thing of like, we give you this, you wake up, you have all of this and you don't have to lift a finger because you have a team. And that's not how it works. For us, pivoting away from that rhetoric of, you know, you're going to have all this freedom and get out of the day-to-day in our marketing has allowed us to kind of bring in the right people. But then also internally, Lauren is very open when she does um, her coaching calls with clients. So I think she does this once a month at the moment about the work and what her days look like and um, that it's, it's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it. Um, And that's not the case. So I think having that level of transparency with our team and our coaches as well, so that when they're coaching clients, you know, they can say from experience, like we see, you know, Lauren doing X, Y, Z, like she's coming to those daily huddles. She's doing all of this work. Um, She has, you know, her own goals and targets to hit that, like we collectively set. And, you know, she's not sitting on a, on a beach, you know, sipping a cocktail uh, or a mocktail because she doesn't drink, just, you know, chilling. Like that's not, that's not how it, how it works. Um, you know, freedom means the flat and freedom is, you know, it's subjective, it's relative. It means different things to different people. So I think as well, having that conversation with our sales team so that they kind of know what are those flags to look for so that they're not kind of allowing the wrong clients to kind of move into impact school. It's really smart that you you actually do have that filter because I've seen so many companies allow the wrong people in for the sake of revenue. And then what ends up happening is their customer service costs go up, the pain in the ass factor goes up, the complaints go up, the negative word of mouth, but it's all because they have the wrong people. And if they would just, but it feels like your marketing has pivoted now to the whole, you know, if you put in the work, you'll get the success is kind of the the theme of it now. Like, and it does take a lot of work and you should be doing a lot of the work. Is that kind of where you've, you've kind of positioned yourself now? Yes. And, and doing your best work. So operating out of your zone of genius, I think. So something that I'm very mindful of is protecting Lauren's energy and mine as well. Like we kind of do that for each other. So she knows when I'm like yesterday we were in a meeting and um with our fractional sales manager and he said oh, okay great like nor can you would you be able to do that and my knee-jerk reaction is always to say yes um because you know that that's just I guess the nature of the role and Lauren kind of paused and was like no she can't do that because you know and she didn't kind of get into detail but I knew that she was kind of putting her foot down because it would completely drain my energy it would move my focus as well and if that happens, I'm not the only one that kind of suffers or sees the repercussions of that. You know, the team also sees that and and it works both ways. So if Lauren's being asked to do things or if she's having to move into areas that she's not particularly strong in and that she doesn't enjoy, more importantly, starts to get snappy, she's restless and that's not good for herself, myself, the team or the business. So we have to be quite protective over that. 
I love that. So you also mentioned that you kind of found your community and that's where some of you have, you kind of settled in a little bit. Where did you find your community as a, as a COO and, you know, how are you drawing on that community? So I, this is, people find this hilarious. Um, I don't like social media and I feel like that's very controversial to say because, you know, we operate in this realm of, you know, this digital space and everyone is connected. Um, but I'm very mindful of how I use and consume social media. Um, and that's just personal pref preference. Like I find it quite invasive at times, um, this idea that you always have to be switched on. Um, and because Lauren is, you know, the face of the brand um, and we leverage her social media, her personal brand for the business, I have always been okay with not having social media and kind of sitting behind the scenes and not being very out there with my opinions or um, community as well. I've always just, you know, I have my team. Um, I've been to, I think, a total of three events in the last almost four years, and that's it. And I know <laughs> I've gotten out of it. But earlier, and this is such a recent switch as well, so I'm still kind of working through this, but maybe two months ago, um, I decided that I was had quite, you know, strong opinions about being the second in command and, you know, what a business needs in order for it to be successful. And I wanted to voice that because I'm quite outside of and, and at work as well, but I'm very stubborn. Um, I have an academic background and I love arguing. I'm very argumentative. So if I am convicted on a specific topic, subject um or a stance i'm quite you know out there with my opinion and i was like you know i i think this is going to be interesting and i have a few things that i kind of want to say and um, so i started posting on linkedin and twitter because i felt like of the social media platforms those are the ones that i felt most comfortable with and i think again maybe because of my academic background um so i have a degree in english literature and that is a very uh, it's a degree where you just read and you write. So those two platforms are the ones where all your opinions are written. There are no videos or, I mean, now there are, but it's mainly written words. Um, so I started connecting with people there. Um, I was in Austin two weeks ago for an event. Um, and I met a load of operators, integrators, second in command at that event and have been communicating with them very regularly. We did a call yesterday night, um, which was fantastic. And it's just nice to talk to people that kind of think like you do, because on a day-to-day -day basis, I find that that's not something that I get to do. Um, and I don't think I realized how important it was until I started doing it and had all this energy and all these ideas and um, just excitement for different things. I love that. So you mentioned your background a couple of times there. I want to understand a little bit more as to what your background has been that has gotten you into this position and maybe kind of not even so much into this position, but that got you and Lauren to co-found, you know, the, the business. What was it that gave you the skills and the confidence to do that? And then what have you been working on, you know, in the three and a half years since you've started as the COO and, and started the company? My background, I was never good at school. <laughs> um, I was always told that I was very average, you know, got mediocre grades, marks. 
Um, it wasn't something that I enjoyed, but I always loved reading. So you would find me with a book wherever I would go. And that was like my thing, I guess. And, um, and my parents aren't Western, they're not English. So in kind of their culture, university is sort of a given. It's not a, do you go or do you not? It's like the next step. And for me, I initially thought that what I wanted to do was go into law. And I wanted to do that in the United States. So to do that, you have to have an undergraduate degree and it can be any degree, any discipline. It doesn't really matter. So I, funnily enough, uh, went into university and my first term, my first semester, I did um, a, a business degree. So I went in as a business major and I just hated it. I hated it so much. It was so mundane. The people that were teaching me, I was like, I don't think they've ever run businesses. It's really dry. So I switched to literature and that was just essentially the best move that I think I made for myself because I went from being average to, you know, being on the Dean's honor list and eventually graduated top of, I think second, second top of my department with highest honors and went on to do a master's in uh, human rights and international criminal law. Because again, I thought I was on this trajectory to become a lawyer. Um, and I think what my academic background taught me that I kind of took forward with me in my kind of professional capacity is um, hard work, uh, very analytical <laughs> mind because of the disciplines that I was in. And I think it taught me to be a good communicator because the way that you write when you're analyzing pieces of text or legal documents, and um, you have to be very clear, you have to be very concise, you have to be to the point. So I think I developed that from my degrees. Um, and I just a love for learning. Like I never enjoyed it before because it was forced at me in this really inflexible way. And when I had the freedom to kind of choose what I could do with my degree, which the university that I went to allowed me to do that, particularly uh, where I did my master's in London. I found that I, I just love learning and taking in new information and then pulling it apart and figuring out what was wrong with it, if I agreed with it, you know, how it could be improved, etc. And then from there, I decided to take some time off because um, I had been in education since I was three. And um, if I was going to do law, I wanted to get into it in the right headspace. Um, and a part of me very, very deep down, I think, knew that I wasn't going to pursue law. But I don't think I was ready at that point in my life to, number one, have that conversation with my parents. And most importantly, have that conversation with myself, because my entire identity up until that point had been future lawyer. And that's kind of where I was comfortable. So I took a, a year off and I um, got really into fitness, health and fitness and well-being. Um, and just for selfish reasons, again, this desire to learn more um, and to be more in control of my fitness journey and my development. Um, I did my qualifications, so uh, level two, level three and nutrition specialist. And from there, I decided to get some experience working at a gym. And then I opened up my own fitness business and I took that completely online. 
this is the time where Lauren and I met and we met through a a friend of mine had a friend who knew Lauren basically and I was talking to her about you know my fitness business and kind of my vision for that and what I wanted to do and her response was oh you should speak to Lauren Tickner because you and her kind of lots of similarities there and I think you would get on really well so I started listening to the podcast Lauren had a really popular podcast at the time um very active on there and um I was like oh this is great and I started implementing various things um that she had mentioned in the podcast and my business started doing better and better and better um and then eventually Lauren had put out a course that I, I was like, I'm learning so much from this podcast. I'm just going to buy this course. So I bought the course. And um, again, the results just kept getting better and better. And I was really public about that because it was something I was really proud of because everyone in my life was like, oh, you're just wasting your time. This is so stupid. Like, just go to law school. Um, and I was like, but I'm making so much money <laughs> and I'm really enjoying, you know, everything that I'm doing. I get to decide when I wake up and when I go to sleep and how I structure my day. Um, and Lauren, uh, saw how well I was doing. So she kind of pulled me virtually aside and we had a conversation and she said, um, you know, you're really crushing it with sales. And I'm really intrigued as to like, what, in addition to what I'm giving you, like what it is that you're doing. So can you come and do some work on, on like with our sales people at the time? It was like, I think it was like two people who are setting appointments. And there was one person who was taking calls um, for what at the time was impact your online business. I think that was the name of the course. If I'm, I think that was the name of the course. Um, so I started doing that very quickly. I exceeded KPIs, and then Lauren came and had a conversation with me. Said, "Hey, would you like to run this? Um, so would you like to run the sales team because, like, you're you know you've." completely um exceeded our KPIs and I had also suggested a few kind of operational things that I thought would help get better results so it was to do with that tracking they didn't really have like a seamless way to track certain things and I thought like I had my own way that I had built that I was that was allowing me to kind of stay on top of everything so I gave that to the other girl who was on the team um, and she started doing a lot better so I started running the sales team and then eventually, um, and I think that it was like a month between running the sales team and us sitting down and Lauren saying, okay, I really want you to come on full time. Cause at the, at that point it was like part-time that part-time my fitness stuff. Um, but it has to be full-time because I want you to like run everything not just sales. And the fitness business was doing well enough that I could have someone there um, to kind of maintain everything. Um, and I just thought I was so much more excited about the prospect of working with Lauren and what we could do together than the fitness stuff um, that I was like, yep, that sounds amazing. So kind of jumped ship um, and then closed down the fitness stuff, I think six months later. I just kind of waited for the clients to kind of finish up and kind of phase out and then kind of close that down. And, and yeah, and that's kind of how I entered into that head of operations at the time. So the co-founding relationship is because prior to my coming on, Impact School was 
a few kind of courses that they were selling. Um, they weren't selling super high ticket. And in terms of the team, Lauren had a few salespeople and a tech guy. Um, and then when I joined, it was more structure and building out the team and kind of um, scaling from there. Love it. So and your learning in business then has all been in building this company and building your first business. Do you turn to mentors? Have you turned to books? Is it just kind of your your quest for knowledge and you're kind of always learning? Um, a bit of both. So in terms of uh, books have been my saving grace because there are, I think you have to be careful with what you read because it's relatively easy to kind of put out a book. Nowadays, it was much more difficult 20 years ago. So yes, books have been incredible, uh, podcasts as well. Um, Lauren has an incredible community that I've been able to leverage to speak to different people and have conversations when I've been at a point where I'm like, oh, I'm stuck or my gut is kind of saying this, but but I'm not 100% sure because it's like everything over the last three and a bit years, almost four years, it's been the first time for me and for her for a lot of things. So we don't have you know, when we're going through those situations first time around, there isn't like, oh, but in our part, you know, previous experience, it was this. Um, so that has been like really, really helpful. And then in terms of mentors, Lauren has had a lot, a lot of mentors and has done courses and, you know, she's been to masterminds, she's done programs. Um, and up until recently, we have kind of a mentor for myself uh, and I think mainly because I've just been very I'm like a skeptical person in general and I think that there are so many people in the space in the online space that have these you know big bold claims and you know who say that they have all this experience and stuff and whenever I've been put in contact to speak to them because you know we're like oh maybe we should you know take on this person as a mentor for you etc I've I've never really, and I'm quite like a gut person. So I'm I'm quite intuitive with, oh, that feels really right. Or like, I really liked that conversation with that person. That felt really good. I felt seen. I felt heard. I felt understood. And I haven't ever had that up until recently. So yeah, I think that that was the other difficulty. It was like, oh, there are all these, you know, events and things for CEOs and visionaries, but far less so for um, operators, COOs, second in command, particularly early stages, I think as well, because it's a role that like, doesn't really garner very much appreciation and respect until the business has reached a certain level. And that's like, oh, yes, you have a COO. That's great. But like early on, it's kind of like, is that an assistant or like, what is that person? Yeah, you're very perceptive. You totally see that as well. The integrators get uh, don't don't get any recognition until the company is big enough, and then when you have that true leadership team. But they're critical, absolutely critical, to get you there. So you you talked as well about um, communication. I'm curious what the tools are that your organization uses because you've got you know employees in the UAE and the USA and the UK. Um, but not only the tools, but what kind of communication protocols do you have for the different tools you're using, whether it's Slack or email or SMS or Zoom? Like, do you have kind of ways that you utilize each of those? And and because, you know, again, you've studied it. Yes. So when I first joined and probably maybe like a year, year and a half 
into my joining, um, the way that we communicated was via Slack. And that was everything. So everything was Slack. So tasks, thing, you know, calls, like, and it was a mess. Like I would wake up and I and I ge- genuinely, I look back and I'm like, oh, maybe it was because like that overlapped with COVID. So like there literally was nothing else in my vicinity to like think of except the business. Um, couldn't see anyone, couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. But I would wake up with like 90 plus notifications on a regular day and then have to like somehow sift through that. And and I knew that like, I was like, that's the worst of it. Like I'm getting the bulk of it because everyone was communicating with me. So I was like, the team isn't experiencing it that bad, but still it led to a lot of people being really overwhelmed, myself included. Um, so I quickly discovered that something needed to change. This was not sustainable. We were not going to scale like this. I have tried every single project management platform essentially out there. So uh, Notion, Asana, Monday.com, um, Trello. And I, I've i settled um, on ClickUp because that for me has just been the best. Um, I've been able to do, and we're still in the process of transitioning everyone um, over to ClickUp because I think we made this change maybe two months ago. We were using Notion initially. So everything kind of goes via ClickUp. Everything, if any, if something takes longer than 10 minutes, we put it into ClickUp. And that's kind of like the rule that we go by. Um, and now I wake up to one, maybe two uh, messages in Slack, which has just been so lovely. So the Slack communications, we kind of keep to, uh, like if I need to remind someone about um, a call that we're doing, so we have these um, daily like meetings, daily huddles that we do every day. So little reminders about that. Um, if it's a reminder to check something and click up, then sometimes I'll put it in there. Um, but that's kind of it. So everything that we do, um, we do via ClickUp. And then we use Google Suite for our kind of client work. So any sort of documents, presentations. We have like client folders in there that we share with the client and everything that they need kind of goes in there. So those are kind of the three like platforms we use, G Suite, ClickUp and uh, Slack. Um, But the majority of the communication happens on calls or via ClickUp. We don't do this kind of back and forth on Slack. And for some reason, entrepreneurs love WhatsApp or like iMessage. So I'm finding that I still am having to kind of, you know, put my, put my foot down when I get added to all these groups. And I'm like, can we just put it on ClickUp or let's, you know, on Slack Um, because it just becomes really, really chaotic, but that's something I'm still, still working on. All right. Last core area I want to dive into, because you've talked a few times about being very analytical is the the ability to kind of decide what metrics to look at and what metrics to ignore or what metrics to look at when, how do you decide as an organization what to be looking at? What's your dashboards? What do your dashboards look like? And, and you know, how do you decide on that stuff? So Lauren will kind of run the marketing. So she kind of decides what we want to be looking at uh, marketing-wise. And that's because that is her area of expertise, area of genius. Um, And she also knows her audience um, so well because she's built it over the last seven plus years now. Um, So everything kind of marketing related, um, I 
kind of default to Lauren on. Um, and she has um, our head of marketing. Um, she kind of oversees him, but she has a handle on kind of that. Um, sales is kind of a weird situation because I started in sales and I'm very, very good with the setters. So the guys that are setting for our sales um, closers. Um, but Lauren is more experienced on the closer side of things. So we kind of collaborate on that. And in terms of metrics, I've tried to strip it back because visionaries will often be like, I want to see this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's too much. And it kind of confuses the team, or at least I found that in my experience, it kind of derails focus. So we have one number that everyone kind of keeps an eye on in the entire organization and everyone knows kind of where we're at and what that target is. And that's the number of memberships or number of enrollments. And that number, if that number goes up, like like every kind of department is succeeding in some shape, way or form because it's kind of tied to everything. It's why we exist. And then on the sales front, we look at appointments set. Our sales manager looks at how many conversations are being had every single day by each member, um, appointments set, and then calls on the calendar, uh, calls taken, because we want to keep an eye on that like no-show rate. And then calls closed, obviously, is very, very, very important. And then um, we have a happiness score for our clients, which is something that is really, really important for us. Um, we send out a survey every single week and that allows us to kind of see how the client is doing, how happy they are, you know, what they think of their coach, what they think of us, if there's anything that they would like to see from us as well, because we're always looking to kind of improve that experience. And then operationally as well, uh, completion. And this is why ClickUp is so good, because it allows us to see when we set targets, what percentage of those targets for each person as well are we able to complete and that's something that's been really important for me because again often visionaries set these massive mammoth goals um and what that does is it means that the team can't ever complete those so when i started seeing that those completion rates were far lower than i wanted them to be i knew that there was something wrong and i had to go in there and figure out and talk to the team and you know get their take on what was going on like you know we were on this call and you kind of just we're nodding, you know, why weren't we able to do X, Y, Z? Oh, you know, we tried, but it was impossible. Um, so just making sure that the goals that we're setting as well are attainable. Um, and then I keep an eye on those completion scores or completion percentages as well. Love it. Yeah, you've certainly got your head wrapped around all the metrics as well. Let's go back to the the, the younger you. I want to go to the kind of 20-year-old, 21-year-old Noor. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known when you were younger? That's a difficult question. I think I would tell myself that like not to be afraid to like be truly myself and to make decisions that made me happy and that weren't per se conventional, but that I knew in my gut were the right choices for me. I think that's what I would say to myself. I love it. Noor Baraji, the COO and co-founder for Impact School. Thanks so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.